And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host, Matt Watson. Excited to be joined today by Aster West, who's the founder and CEO of Radhash. She's helped do a lot, she's helped a lot of people build a lot of things over the last 20 years or so. Um, also has a really cool low-code platform called Radhash we're going to talk about today. Before, I do get, before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale, which is my company. We have over 300 software developers that help build, help build all sorts of cool technology for lots of companies. If you need to help um, build, grow your development team, you can check us out at fullscale.io. Aster, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm, I was really excited to get your DM. When you asked if I wanted to come on, I was like, absolutely. I want to come on and talk about software and getting started and startups and all that other good stuff. Well, somehow or another, we ran across each other on LinkedIn through somebody else that must be a mutual connection or something. And I think we've been interacting and following each other for the last year or so. So it is great to great to see you here and, and great to do this today. So I'm sure we've had a few conversations on LinkedIn back and forth, but it's great to be here. Yeah, what they are, I can't remember. I'm sure it had something to do with software and startups. startups. Yep. So so tell me a little bit more about your background before we started recording. You're telling me, you know, you've owned a, a dev agency and been a software engineer for twenty plus years, it sounds like. Tell um, tell us a little more about your background. Yeah, so I actually got started uh, before I started my .NET shop, I was hired by a startup. And this is before any technology aspirations or startup aspirations or business. I just thought it was really cool. I wanted to go to work for them. It was challenging. And when we went, when I went to work for them, we had, I was basically doing everything myself. And I needed to be able to um, get a lot of information together. And I had found that the people that I was um, trying to build for needed a technology component. Like we needed to connect them. I was using Excel spreadsheets and I was dating this .NET dude at the time. And I said, Hey, look, you know what? This is what I need to do. Um, what do you think about it? I think we need like a portal and a database and all that other good stuff because I literally can't keep up with this. And so we started building this application and I was literally hooked. And um, after that, the startup failed. The owners couldn't come to terms. They parted ways. And I was like, what in the world do I do next? And so I was like, you know, should I start a business? I'm like, I don't, how do I start a business? And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go work for somebody and I'm going to figure, you know, I'll get some experience, something that's similar to maybe what I want to do. I think I did that for about two months. And then one Friday, I'm like, I, I need to go start my own business. I need to have that freedom. I have ideas. And so I, I started the business. I went out and started building a portfolio, started working. I did a lot of free work for this portfolio, I think. Okay. You know? And so it took about six months to get my first real client. And then after that, it was done. 
I mean, we were off to the races building, you know, app after app after app after app. And we did some really big stuff. I mean, the first thing that we did was an e-commerce solution. And here I am on only on my second app, starting a technology company, you know, learning as I go. And um, it was interesting. And it turned into a really exciting career. And I did it for a really long time. I'm still doing it. So when you started out, you were building products for other people, right? But at some point in time along your journey here, you decided to create your own products, right? You created some of your own SaaS companies along the way. We did. Um, we actually, during the custom development phase, we actually developed four products. And they were a cost. And it was kind of some a weird mix. So we had that e-commerce solution. We did one. Uh, it was a, like a pleadings portal for a law firm. And we turned that into a product. Um, we had um, a, a delivery type app. It was kind of a little bit before Uber, something almost similar. It was geolocation. And then we had an auction software. And okay. we ended up building those and selling those. And a lot of that was actually what funded what would become the Rad Hash brand. Okay. So, you know, there's... There was a transition. We started transitioning out of custom development around 2016 and then went full-time into developing the framework um, to rapidly develop applications or SaaS applications around 2018. So it's been, it's been a progression. And to me, it's, it's more of a natural progression. You know, at some point when you build custom software, you get to the, you kind of start doing the same things over and over again. And we had developed, you know, libraries of, of different applications that we could put together. And through that experience, I'm like, you know, this is, this is a product in itself. You know, being able to rapidly develop applications is a product in itself. And so, you know, that is where I wanted to go. I really loved developing the products end to end. I liked to take them to market. It was exciting. You know, I liked all of the aspects of it. And, you know, it was, it was a way to be more creative. And to me, that was the next level. So I've talked to a lot of people that own dev agencies or some form of professional services that's related to tech. And most of them have the same thing in common where they'd rather be a product company. Like they want to build a product instead of building for other people. And they're totally different businesses, right? Dramatically different. And it's really hard to balance that. So I'm, I'm curious if you go back, way back in time, how did you balance between doing custom work for other people, which paid the bills, right? Versus like, how do we carve up enough time and resources to build something our own that eventually could be our own product and eventually we could sell and that could be our primary thing? Like, how, how did you figure out how to make that switch? Because I feel like that's something everybody wants to do, but it's a mm -hmm. difficult thing to do. We kind of springboarded off of custom projects. So we would, we would start a custom project and we would finish it and we would start getting a lot of business in that market. So for, I think three years, we did a lot of legal work. So we would build a lot of custom backends for law offices, a lot of automations, things like that. And it started to morph into, you know, um, building this product. And so we were able to put a wrapper on it and we could take it on down the line. Kind and of partner really, with whoever was your original customer, kind of partner with right. them to take it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it was the same thing. In 2008, when the housing market crashed, we actually moved into working with a lot with auctions. They were selling a lot of heavy equipment. And so, you know, mm. we were able to develop this software that allowed them to do that more efficiently, whether it was on site or, you know, if it was through a municipality, you know, we were able to develop these products around kind of things that were also going on at the time, things that were, you know, causing different markets to flourish and other ones to fail. And um, we were able to develop a product around that and then take that to auction houses. So, you know, we've just, we've ebbed and flowed with the work that we've done. We've worked in markets, we've worked across markets, we've worked in just about every market that you can think of. But the interesting thing is that when you build so much software, you start to develop a, I call it a library of common components. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, things that, you know, I'm a modular builder. I love building modular. I love building apps. I love building reusable components, you know, whatever it is. I don't ever think about anything that we do as being a singular item. And so having that mentality, we were able to put together these solutions a lot faster. It increased our margins. We could do it more quickly. We could do it with smaller teams. Absolutely. So you brought a lot of value. Your company brought a lot of value because you could do that. Right. And we could also work with smaller companies. So, Mm -hmm. you know, through the years, you know, we're, you know, we're building this culture of, you know, being able to do things really fast, being able to do things very economically, but also deliver those custom solutions that allowed a business to operate properly. So I guess, for example, in the auction industry, there's a lot of it's done by hand, or at least it was. But what we did, and this is what really started kind of the ball rolling with it, is we pulled five years of data out, out of these auctions, put it into a database, and now they could just pick. And so you've, we were able to, you know, really increase the speed of their production as well. And we were able to connect a lot of different systems as well. So, you know, these are, these are all things about not just about building software, but having the ability to really look at a business and say, I can solve that by building this. And this is how it's going to help you increase the productivity of your company and ultimately your bottom line. What I I think is, what I think is unique about you and your story of owning a dev agency that I don't see as common when I talk to people that own a dev agency is you seem to be a lot more entrepreneurial in the partnerships with your customers or the mm-hmm. opportunities that came out of that to create your own products. Like mo- right. a lot of people I talk to the dev- do it, that own dev agencies, they just do the work and that's it and they're done. You know, it, it sounds like uh, you you either thought about it differently or you kind of got lucky with a lot of opportunities. But kudos to you that it sounds like you were thinking a lot more entrepreneurial in these partnerships and how you could you know monetize them to be more than just doing the work. Yeah, we we always consider ourselves strategic. You know, we've always been a strategic firm. It's not it's not about the software. The software does a job. It has a job to do. You build it to do a job. Yeah. And the job for us was, you know, how do we make this business run more fluidly with less friction? You know, how do we optimize these things that are creating a lot of headache for these companies? Because you can only go so far with off-the-shelf products. 
it, it was true 20 years ago, it's true now. You know, at some point, if you're going to be a company that can grow, you're going to have to do something a little custom. And so nowadays you have a lot of products that will allow you to do that, but inevitably, and this is really true for startups, um, no code platforms are phenomenal to help you build some type of prototype, but you get outside of that, you get outside of the MVP, you get outside of that, you know, demo type situation when it actually has to do the work. And that's when you have to actually move into a custom product. There's absolutely no way around, and maybe somebody will prove me wrong one day. There's no way around if you are a software company and you're building a software product that at some point you're going to have to build a custom product. Well, and if we if you stop and think about it for a minute, Microsoft Access is a no-code platform or a low-code platform, right? And Microsoft Access has been around for 25 years, however long. But we don't all use Microsoft Access for everything, right? It has limits, right? There, there's right. limits to all these things somewhere, be it Bubble or what, whatever these low-code, low no-code platforms are. There's a limit somewhere. For some certain circumstances, they're great. I mean, especially if you're like, oh, I just need a little database to track my contracts and when they're renewed or whatever. And it's just like a couple database tables or whatever, right? You could probably do that in Microsoft yeah. Access. But so, so tell us more about Radhash and what's different about Radhash. And I know it's the culmination of everything you've built over your career. Yeah. And it sounds like you've been working on it for the last five years. You know, we tell have. us more about Radhash and what, what's different about it. So what's different about Radhash is that it operates like an operating system. So it provides all of the underlying infrastructure to be able to run some type of code or some type of solution on top of it. And the reason why we built it that way is we needed to have, we didn't want to have to start from scratch every time we were developing a new platform. So what our focus was is we basically developed out 90, about 95% of repetitive code. So anything that you need for your media, any, any type of API connections, your payment system, your your inventory, your invoicing, your commerce, your publishing, all of those things that you need to be able to operate in today's software world, we develop that infrastructure. So what we do is we can deploy it quickly and then we build on top of it depending on what type of market we're going into. So that saves a tremendous amount of time. So that was actually what we started first was our rapid development platforms. So then how does somebody customize that? They're like, okay, I need to build a system that has inventory and it has invoicing and I take credit cards. You know, those sound like very common building blocks and a lot of software. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right. So how how would I build an app on your platform, but then customize it for the other things that I need that are maybe more unique? Yeah. So that's where Radhash comes into play. So our rapid development platform is for developers. It's what we developed first and we couldn't get things done fast enough. The, the need for us, uh, we couldn't keep up with demand. So we thought, okay, how do we take what we've built and then translate that into something that will allow us to accommodate this influx of software development requests? And so what we did is we combined a no-code builder sitting on top of that framework that we already have. So when you deploy a hash, we call them hashes, they, it's similar to think about it like an operating system on your computer. 
So you download it, you put it on your computer, then you have a bunch of apps and you can do whatever you want with it. So RadHash is very similar. So it's a similar experience. You fill out a few things and it creates an account in the cloud. Right now we're with Azure and we have a, you know, a number of other opportunities that we're coding in. But basically what it is, is once you actually launch your solution is running, let's just, we'll just use Azure because I don't want to say all the other cloud services. Once you launch your solution, you log in and you start to build your solution and you have a couple of different options. They're split into three parts. You have elements, you have full-blown apps. So these are small software applications that you can link together. So let's say you want to create um, an e-commerce solution. So you're going to need publishing. You're going to need to publish, you know, some type of user interface. You're going to need some type of e-commerce solution. So you're going to publish an e-commerce solution. You're going to need payments. You can connect your payments up, your logistics, and then you have automated workflows. So you have elements, apps, and workflows. And by putting those combinations together, you can create just about anything that you want. So our goal is to ensure that those things have the ingredients as well as the code behind to work on the cloud. So when you actually publish something, it has the instructions to set up your database, to launch an app service, to publish to the web, to be accessible in some certain way, to connect to your Azure A to B to C so that you have, you know, some type of way to log in and protect your customers. You know, it's, it's, if you think about it this way, and I posted about this on LinkedIn yesterday, when I was a kid, we had, my mom bought a PC and this is going to show my age, but to use the PC, you had to learn a bunch of commands. And then Windows came out, right, so, and then Windows came out with an operating system that you could just turn on your computer and you could use. And it opened the door for normal everyday humans to be able to interact with complex software systems in a visual way. Radhash is the same way. Because when we look at the, the speed and the velocity at which people need and want to build software of their own, I can't see any other way for it to happen. So I think that we're on the verge of, I want to say it's, it's, a, it's a quantum shift in personal computing, but it's not about using the software, it's building the software. And if you look out there, we have all of these components, they're just not together in one place. Some no-code platforms, they may give you the ability to publish to the cloud. Maybe. I've seen one. But then once you do, you're still operating within their system. And with ours, ours are completely distributed. You launch it. It builds itself. You have access to the tools. You can build and launch what you want. It doesn't work any differently than any other operating system that's out there. It just has different tools and it works in the cloud. So what are the, what end up being the limitations of it? Can you, I mean, do you end up with the, the code to it or is it a bunch of SDKs or, you know, is it designed for a developer like me to, to customize it? How, talk to me more about that. Part it does it. have a component. It does. It does have a component for developers to be able to build on top of it. So there's a standard 
to the solution. There are SDKs for developers um, to be able to follow those standards and to be able to develop on top of it. Um, but for now, what our focus is, is the no-code developer, the individual who just needs to launch something. Um, we'll open up those other layers once we have a handle on where we're at. Because at this point right now, things went a little bit faster than I thought they would. And over the next year, we it have- It creates its own problems. You know, I think people don't realize what it takes to actually scale something. The second you add a customer, um, your costs go up exponentially. I mean, it's a great it's a great problem to have, but um, we. I I knew that people really wanted to have the freedom and control to be able to do it, um, and by do it I mean build their own solution. They want they couldn't afford to go out and hire me because even though, you know, we've developed a lot of software that helps us do this faster, it's still expensive. It is still expensive to build a solution, even if you've developed all the underlying components and, you know, working with founders can be difficult. And, you know, we just saw an opportunity to be able to take what we were, what we were building and take it to the next level. So, you know, over the next year, we have a hundred founders that want to build on this thing. And that's a lot because we're talking about, you know, every founder that builds, I mean, that's a platform that can bring hundreds of merchants, hundreds of customers or hundreds of users, depending on what business model they're deciding to um, go into or, you know, or even, millions of users or millions of users. And I think the when I think about that, if it were not, if it were not where we are in today's flexible and elastic cloud, I think it would scare the pants off of me thinking about how in yeah. the world are we yeah. going to manage this? You know, how are we going to support this? But, you know, supporting a system is not as difficult as it used to be with the level of connectivity that we have and the standardization that we put into it. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's, you know, nothing ever goes perfectly, but I think that. Well, so say, so building software is very expensive as you, as you described, I think it has gotten easier over time. Um, you know, one of the, the challenges that, that we are trying to solve at full scale is, is making it more affordable, right. By hiring talent globally, like over 90% of software developers are not in the United States. You know, there, there are millions of developers in lots of countries all over the place. Um, I saw a study from GitHub uh, this week that said the, the fastest growing uh, country in the world for development was Singapore. And I think it said by uh, 2025 or 2026, there will be more software developers in India than there are in the United States, which will be the first time. It won't be the United States is the first. But uh Per capita, there are more developers in Singapore than anywhere else in the world right now, which I thought was fascinating. That was from GitHub's data. But, um, you know, it's one of the problems we're trying to solve at full scale too, right, is trying to make it um, more affordable to, to do development because it is extremely expensive. Um, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, you've been doing this for a long time, how much different or how much easier is it today, you think, to build software than it was 
when you worked at that first startup all those years ago, how, how do you compare the, the night and day of that? Um, I think it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be a weird answer, but I don't think it's, I think we just have better tools. I don't necessarily know if it's any easier. I, I mean, we had, you know, visual studios definitely like come a long way and, you know, with having, you know, the capabilities of, you know, pipelines and being able to protect your source code and the level of segmentation that you have in being able to, you know, create these environments that are really made for the world that we live in. We've always had remote developers from all over the world, from the US, from yeah. Singapore, from 100%. India, from from Ireland, from Russia, Ukraine. I mean, it we just really go where the talent is. And you know, for us, I think probably one of the biggest I would say something that made my life a lot easier as um, the founder and company owner was being able to create an environment that we had better control of, better control of um, being able to, you know, spin up a dev box, you know, for somebody who's just going to come in and do a little bit of work on, you know, just, you know, a small branch and, you know, we can spin them up, we can spin them down, they can access them from anywhere. Uh, we can secure them. We can completely segment our, our environments. I mean, our our development organization doesn't even have to be in the same organization of where the code is. You know, we have so many, so many more um, options as opposed to you know just handing over the whole code base to a developer and saying, okay, you know, this is your part. You know, it's our tools have gotten better, but I don't think it's gotten much easier. I'm, I'm going to actually give a different answer. I almost want to say it's gotten more complicated. You know, when I, would, when I, I started my career, that. you know, I start, I don't know about you. I started on visual basic, visual basic six. It was easy to build software, drag and drop, click, write some visual basic code. And then deploying it was not very hard. That was maybe the only trick if you had to deploy it to like hundreds of desktops or whatever. But that wasn't that hard either. It wasn't that hard to build software. Now you've got like all these tools and all this cloud stuff and all these, like there's just so many things. Like there, there's an endless number of things that if you're a developer today, you're like, I got to learn all these JavaScript frameworks and all this HTML and all this CSS and Git and all these cloud. Like there's just so many things. I actually feel like it's more complicated in, in some ways. The tools have gotten better, right? Visual Studio yeah. and, and all the IDEs, VS Code, like all these things have gotten better. And even the, the cloud is very useful, right? If I think back to my first big startup, like if I wanted servers, I was literally racking them in the data center yep. and doing all of that. And it was a, you know, it's a huge capital expense for my company. Yeah. Like, oh, I got to spend $30,000 for a SAN and, you know, all this money for, like SQL Server licenses and all these things, like huge capital expenses. And, yeah. yeah, where it is a lot easier today to use the cloud and, and do that stuff, which it's kind of its own needle and drug they get you hooked on that's kind of overpriced, yeah. but that's its own thing. But it makes it a lot easier, right? If you're like, oh, I want to use you know caching or a queue or a database, whatever, I can just in a few minutes spin it up and go. But mm -hmm. it also makes it complicated because you have to know about all that stuff that even exists yeah. and when to use it, when not to use it. Like it... um. It's like we're a kid in a candy store, but it maybe we overeat. <laughs> I don't know. It's maybe it's, 
I think there's, it's both. It's both sides. I see both sides. Yeah, I think, I mean, we try to keep things, you know, as simple as possible. You know, there's, you know, keeping the foundational elements foundational, you know, having, you know, not go crazy on abstraction, but, you know, smart abstraction, you know, not going crazy on services or, you know, going wild. I mean, there's, there's smart ways to develop things without, you know, going off on the latest and greatest. You know, I really look at the way that we develop and the, this, the different tools that we use. Um, they're practical. You know, they're practical. They solve they solve a problem that we had, but we didn't implement them because they were the latest and greatest. It was it was something very specific. And so I think that you yeah. know, when you and but getting to the cloud, if you if you're not aware of how to implement the solutions, you can really rack up a bill, a, a nice oh, good yeah. size bill. So um, I've, I've gotten I think my, thousands of dollars a month in bills because I accidentally left on logging or something and just, <laughs> okay. just goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that requires a, a good degree of intent and understanding and at first you think, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, it's pay as you go and it's, you know, it's, it's metered and what could go wrong? And then it's like, oh no, whoops. Yeah, totally get it. But you live and learn and then you start to understand it and, you know, start to use the parts that work for you. And, you know, I like, I like the idea of being able to have the, the observability into the solutions that we're building. And, you know, yeah. to be able to utilize, um, you know, different methods to be able to get those spun up without having to do it manually. You know, these things are all, you know, programmatic and can be dialed in pretty easily and managed really easily as well with code. And I like that aspect of it. So what what scares you the most about scaling Radhash? Um. I think that, I don't think there's any, I mean, I think because of the level of um, preparation that's gone into it, you know, we've, Radhash is the fourth platform or solution really on our technology. And so we've had time to work through things. I mean, we've worked through these things in the market and with real customers and with real issues. And so, you know, a lot of the kinks have already been worked out. We've done a lot of the legwork. We've invested a, uh, probably more of my own money than I probably should have, but, you know, I really believed in the solution. And I, I, um, I knew that when we got to the end of it, it was going to be something that was going to be spectacular and that we were going to get a lot of use out of it. I don't, I do not have, or I'm just going to say, I, I I don't have a fear of where we're going with it. I believe that we can. So if somebody signs up tomorrow with a, if somebody signs up tomorrow with a million users, that doesn't make you nervous. No, uh, and the reason why is because no one's going to sign up tomorrow with a million users. We have 13 alphas that have to go on at first, and then 100 betas. So. A, by the time somebody comes on and, you know, kind of ratchets up to that scale, I mean, there's, there's things that I have questions about when you're dealing in building software, that's probably going to replace legacy software. I think 
if yeah. I had any concern, it would be, you know, how do we move the data? How do we make that simple to move the data from one system to the next? Or how do we make it enticing enough that the pain is not, you know, the pain is bearable from moving it over? And then what does that look like? You know, how much, how much support do we need for that? And um, what is, what are going to be our protocols? You know, because our goal is that this is completely managed and contained with fractional workers on demand across okay. the entire ecosystem. Because I just, I feel that going to work for a startup these days can be um, a little risky. You know, a lot of times you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know how funded they are. You don't know what the level of experience, you don't know what the market's going to do. And I think a lot of people want to build a fractional portfolio um, and to be able to have the same experience working without the risk. I love working for startups, but they are risky. And yep. um, I think that one of the things that our solution does um, to facilitate that is that it lowers the risk because you're going to have such a large number of people that you could possibly work for or a large number of founders that you can possibly work for and it's standard. So, you know, every time you, you know, dive into a new system, it's not really new, you know, you're using the same underlying structure, the same backends, you know, it's, there's a standard, there's a standardization to it that doesn't currently exist in the startup world that our system brings that really makes fractional work possible. And it's, it's the same with anything that we would layer on top of it. It's that layer of standardization that allows us to continually create and to, you know, make it more robust and more um, beneficial to startups. I mean, at, at their beginning stage, all the way to the end. So I, I think that if it were, if there's anything that I have a little bit of trepidation is, you know, what are we doing with that data layer? How are we getting data in? Getting data out would be fine from our side. You know, obviously the portability is there, but, you know, dealing with legacy systems is interesting to say the least. And it's dealing with companies that um, want to keep that data and keep those customers is even worse. So. So um, you, you posted about something on LinkedIn over the last week or so. I distinctly remember I wanted to ask you about. You, you sure. said something along the lines of, all the software that's been created up until now is deprecated. Yeah, not until now. I think the last 10 years. I think that you and I come from a time where we know a lot more about developing systems front to back, end to end, than um, systems that have been built really, I think, kind of 2012, maybe up. Um, and the reason for that is a lot of new technology, a lot of new tools, a lot of new frameworks, things that people don't really understand what's under the hood. Um, there's a lot of systems that are really extremely bloated. They have more in them than they actually need. And there's a lot, a lot of, of microservices. That, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, you know, it's when you start piling that level of, um, complexity onto software that really needs to be uh, fluid and scalable because look at where we're going. I mean, look at how, I mean, AI is going to have a massive impact 
on the scalability and the speed at which software is going to be required to move and to grow. The trajectory is, is really steep. And so you've layered that on top of what's here and its architecture and how it was built. And you have the perfect storm for software that really cannot perform the way that it needs to, needs to perform. And I think a good, really public example of that is Elon Musk pulling all of his microservice plugs and completely killing everything and then firing a bunch of people. That is literally- And somehow a, they're, a, still, a they're still in business. Right. It's, it's literally a public display of exactly what is going on inside of all of these companies that were built between here and now because- you just had so much craziness towards these new tools. You know, we're going to use everything. Everything is going to be a microservice. You know, we're going to completely break things down until, you know, they're, they're so like fragmented that now they don't make sense anymore. And no one even really understands what they do. So well, I, mean, I think we get, spaghetti, we, get I don't more know. we get more and more vendors creating special customized solutions now that are more niche that, you know, a lot of companies, like even at full scale, we've built some stuff internally over the last five years that I look at now and I'm like, why do we use this when we could buy something off the shelf at a fraction of the cost of what it costs us to maintain this thing, you know, but five years ago, that thing didn't exist or we didn't know it existed right. five years ago. So we built it right. And we get more and more of these best of breed, solutions out there that that we can just use and we can stop building you know some custom code for some things i there's another topic i really want to ask you about how do you tell me about the balance of going from engineer to ceo and trying to balance being the ceo and being an engineer how do you how do you um, balance that tell me talk to me <laughs> about the balance of that i only do, i find it a really hard balance i do one thing a day I do not, I, I don't multitask okay. as much as I possibly can. I, I will choose one task that I would need to stay on focus and I will get that done. I will get it to a point where it doesn't need me for a while. And then I might hand it off to someone else or I don't need to pick it up for some time. And then I move on to another aspect. Um, but it is difficult. And, um, it doesn't always work uh, because sometimes the, the things that I need to pick up again, I don't have the time to pick up again and they get stale and then I have to do more work on them. It's usually me trying to figure out um, how to forecast and do numbers and open markets and things like that. I have to put a lot of, of um, headspace into that, you know, future looking. You know, seeing the future is sometimes a difficult thing to pick back up. I find it really hard on the engineering side to be like halfway through a problem and then be able to stop working on the problem and then go do something else. And like my mind does not want to do that. Like I feel like I'm a dog on a bone and I got to stay there until yeah. I solve whatever the problem is. So I, I find that really difficult to do. Yeah, I usually don't stop until I'm done. I I, I find that it's like, I have to get it done or else it's, it's going to be, it's going, the problem is going to be worse. I'm not, I'm going to have to try to figure out where I left you. off. 
I have to like try to figure yeah. out where my mind was. I have to get back into the flow of it. So I usually just don't. I will stay on it and I will just keep working on it until it's completely done and I've I've shipped it. Well, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Once again, today's uh, podcast is brought to you by Full Scale. We help dozens of other startups and scale-ups uh, augment their team via software development and QA. We have over 300 employees in the Philippines that work for lots of people. You can check us out at fullscale.io. Um, our guest today was Aster West, the founder and CEO of Radhash. We're doing some really cool stuff in low code. Sounds like you guys are kind of in the uh, in the beta phase. If somebody's out there that's listening that's that's interested, can they still sign up for the beta? They can. Um, we have a wait list on our website, so radhash.ai. Okay. And I'm, you know, we're at our limit right now for betas, but I'm pretty sure, you know, there will be some type of opening. You know, people change their minds. People decide not to build. Yeah. So um, I would definitely say go to the website, sign up for the wait list, hit me in the DMs. You know, I'm I'm very open on LinkedIn and I pretty much usually always answer everyone who takes the the their time to communicate with me. So um, questions, comments, I have an idea. I love ideas. I am very much founder forward. Um and excited to talk about all kinds of technology anytime. Awesome. Business ideas. Well, too. thank you so much for being, thank you so much for being on the show today, and we really appreciate it. And um, thank you. You're welcome. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.